C.S. Lewis, always great to start with a C.S. Lewis quote. He writes this in The Great Divorce. There have been men who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself, as if the good Lord had nothing to do but to exist. That dilemma, it describes us. Because you and I, we together have a God, we worship a God who is infinite. And because God is infinite, you and I, we do not have the ability to comprehend him completely. Certainly not all at once. For C.S. Lewis's man, why God exists is just as important as that he exists. But that truth passed him by. And so it can be for For you and for me, while we are focused on this one truth that we love about God or this one truth from scripture that we love so much, another one might go by us. While we're gazing at this particular attribute of God, someone else might be saying, look up here, look up here. Here's another one to look at. But there are some truths that are so pervasive in scripture And so important to our lives in Christ that we must never take our eyes off of them. We can never leave them unguarded or undefended. They must be in our view every day, not only for ourselves and our own spiritual well-being, but for the well-being of those around us, for the well-being of the community in which we live, for the well-being of this church in which we serve the Lord. And such is the truth that we have before us this morning. A truth described in this passage as life. This truth is life. And I'm gonna summarize that truth in this way. We must, we cannot, but we shall through Christ. We must, we cannot, but we shall through Christ. That's what we're going to see this morning as we come once again to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles with you to take them out, turn the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place in Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to ask you to stand as we here read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then... The Lord, your God, will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord, your God, will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts in the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. 
You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that through your power you would enable us to do as you command this morning, to love you with all our heart, all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we get back into Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning, I admit readily that preachers, myself included, we throw around words like incredible, amazing, unbelievable, so often that those words sometimes lose their impact. The good news is that phrases such, dude, this is radical, have fallen by the wayside. The bad news is that they've been replaced with like, you know, like, it's just like, I don't know, like, I, I, it's just when I come, it's like, I just, I, I just like, please, let's all use our big words, okay? <laughs> but let's face it, when your subject is God and his word, what adjectives are, are available to us? So it's not for lack of trying to find another word with more punch, that I return to the same old words to describe once again Deuteronomy chapter 30. The truths of this chapter, particularly the first 10 verses, are incredible, they are amazing, and they are difficult to believe. Truths like the ones we saw last week. People will always sin, and God will always forgive those who repent. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. God, knowing that his people would sin so radically and so pervasively, does not abandon them for what he knows they most certainly will do. Instead, God lays out a way for his people to return to him. And when they turn back to the Lord, when they come to their senses, when they repent, he will forgive them and bring them back. In verses 3, 4, and 5, List the blessings that flow from that repentance. The Lord your God will restore your fortunes. The Lord will have compassion on you. The Lord will gather you again from the nations where he scattered you and bring you back. The Lord will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. All the things that he will do, all the blessings that he will give to his people. All the blessings listed in these verses, three, four, and five, they pertain to the physical, the material. And that's really important because God's people need those things and in their culture. They were quite clear evidence that God was truly with his people. But then we come to verse six, this really central and most important verse. And this verse transcends the physical. 
Because God knows that you and I, we need more than the physical. We need more than the material. And so God inspired the apostle Paul to write, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. See, the world and the physical, it's, it's limited. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. See, we need more than the physical, more than the material, more than this world. We're created for more than just this life. And so we need more than the physical and material. And so you and I can't allow our need for the physical and the material. Even the promises that God gives to us to provide for our needs. We can't let that supplant us or distract us from the greater truth that God must and will supply our greater spiritual need. Look in verse 6. The Lord promises. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. See what I mean? This truth, life is connected to it. Nothing in our lives can be more important than loving the Lord with all our hearts and with all our souls. And that's why God gives this great command over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, hear the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, this is the first and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Because in doing this is life. And so here's the promise of the Lord in verse 6. When you love the Lord with all your heart, you will live. Now that means the converse is true as well. If we do not love the Lord, we will not have life, not true life, not the life that Christ promises to us. So whatever it is in our lives that distracts us from loving the Lord, that thing, that person deprives us of life. So think about that. Think about how desperate our need is To love the Lord because only when we see our desperation to love the Lord in this way can we truly be amazed by verse 6 and call it incredible and unbelievable. Because look at what verse 6 says. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts so that you will love the Lord. See what I mean? Here it is. The Lord is enabling us to do what we must do, but cannot do, so that we may live. Now, we can't fully understand Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, apart from Deuteronomy chapter 10. In fact, verse 6 before us loses most of its wonder and most of its amazement and its ability to humble us if we disconnect it from chapter 10. Now, here's the problem. Guess how long it's been since we've been in Deuteronomy chapter 10? Go ahead and guess. I'll tell you. August of 2014, two and a half years ago. Now you can forget a lot in two and a half years, right? 
And with all our technology distracting us today, we can forget a lot in two and a half minutes. So a lot of time has and distance has intervened so that we might not be able to see this truth from that truth. So let's go back to chapter 10 and reconnect with it. Turn back to chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Turn, 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 pages, pages. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, let's just start in verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So here's God's command. And he puts it in the setting of these stories in chapter 10 of all that the God has done for them, all the ways he's loved them, all the ways he's blessed them, chosen them above all nations. Heavens and earth, they all belong to him, and yet he has chosen Israel to be his people. Therefore, he says that they must circumcise their hearts. They must cut away from their hearts anything that might make them stubborn or obstinate or disobedient or rebellious. God commands, circumcise your heart. Keep your hearts soft toward God. And we read in chapter 10 that it's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is what you must do. Now let's go back to chapter 30. Because this chapter reveals that God's people could not do what they must do in order to have life. As we saw so clearly last week, they did not circumcise their hearts. They were stubborn. They were obstinate. They were disobedient. They were rebellious. And as a result, their lives were literally destroyed. They lost everything they had. And they were sent into exile. But look, here comes God. And he's carrying grace with him. So much grace that it's spilling out. And it's overflowing on these rebellious people. Because no longer is the requirement, circumcise your own hearts. Instead, look at what we read in verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. This is good news. Here, once again, we see God doing for his people what they must do but cannot do for themselves. And once again, God gives to his people what they need most. And what they need most is a way to him and a way to life. And that's God's work in us. We can't live life, not real life. We can't have life, not real life, apart from the work of the Lord in us. And that's the point of these first 10 verses of chapter 30. When these exiles in Babylon repent, when they come to their senses, when they return to the Lord, as God says that they will do, they will still be in exile. They will still be homeless. They will still go down and sit by the rivers of Babylon and they'll weep. They'll cry whenever they remember their homeland, Jerusalem. And even though they have repented, they will still be desperately dependent on the Lord for his deliverance. Desperately dependent on the Lord for his deliverance from captivity. 
Because listen, that's the way it works between us and God. You realize that, don't you? We must, we can't, but we shall through the power of the Lord. And that's the truth at which you and I must always look. The truth that we must guard, the truth from which you and I must never be distracted. And this is the reason that you and I must love the law. Really, we must love the law and not despise it ever because the law of God shows us what is required of us. It shows us the standards of a holy God that must be met because God is holy. And it is the great beauty and wonder of God that he is holy. Listen, we would not want God not to be holy, right? We would not want that. His holiness is what makes him so much to be desired. His holiness is why we are going to enjoy being in his presence for all eternity because he is a holy God. We cannot want God not to be holy just because we can't be holy. Because for some reason we think we'll be better off if we bring God down to our level. No, we won't be. We need God to be holy. And the law shows us the attitudes and the reactions required from people who will be in his presence. It reveals who we must be and what we must do in order to be with God. But we can't. We cannot do it on our own. God knows that. And that's why God here in verse 6 doesn't just press the reset button. Okay, boom. Back to factory settings. Okay, now I'm going to put you back in the promised land. You're good to go. Let's try this all again. That's not what God does here, is it? In verse 6. God does something entirely different. Because of his great love for us. Because he chooses life for us. Because he wants us to be with him. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so the promise of verse 6 is that the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart. So that you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. See, here it is. We must. We can't. But we shall through the Lord. And so don't disrespect the work of the Lord by trying to do it for yourselves. We can't be good enough. I was drinking coffee Thursday morning out and I was working on this sermon. That's why I'm doing that because I type. I would like to tell you millennials that I was in a hip, cool coffee shop like Black Tap. Now I go there often, but that's not where I was on Thursday. No, I was in a different place. I was at Bojangles. (laughs) So the clientele there is a little bit different. And while I was there, I'm typing away on this sermon. I hear uh, over here a conversation between two older men. One of these men, the talkative one, is apparently a pillar in his church. And I could best describe this man as crusty or leathery. And I first ever heard him talking about the stained glass windows in his church. They needed repair, and he's on the committee. He said, ah, I told him, just take out the windows and replace them with clear glass. So I cringed a little bit, and I tried to get back to work, but this man had a a loud voice. And so he got my attention again because he started talking about missions. He said, my son's Yankee (laughs) in-laws. 
are trying to get their daughter to go on a trip to Panama, mission trip, cost $2,000. He said, I know missions trips are glamorous. You come back and you get to stand up in front of the church and tell stories and bring a tear to the eye of all the old people. He said, but I want to stand up and say, did you accomplish $2,000 worth of work? What did you do over there that you can't do here? Well, when she asked me for money, I'm going to say, you know, you go sell that four-wheeler you like to ride so much before you come and ask me for any money. And then he said this, and I know this because I was typing away. (laughs) He says, you know, you got to take church with a grain of salt. People know which way is up and which way is down. Look at me. I finally did what I was supposed to do. I gave what I was supposed to give. I acted the way I was supposed to act. I go to church and now look, I have all I need. No, you must, you cannot, but you shall only in Christ. At this point, my fingers were tired from typing. And these men were getting up to leave anyway. And so they went to the coffee maker together. And I just tell you this to get a feel for this man. And so at the coffee maker, he asked his friend, is your wife treating your girlfriend okay? (laughs) And he says, you know, the only reason I get up in the morning is to say hello to my wife before she goes off to see your boyfriend. (laughs) That's supposed to be funny. (laughs) He was trying to be funny. Brian's going to use that joke later. I can't make this stuff up. And so there, I just cannot believe it. I'm working on this sermon with this truth, listening to this man's conversation. Now, I don't know his heart. This man may love Jesus. He just never mentioned him once or gave him credit for anything in his life. And yet he apparently never misses a Sunday in church and he serves on committees. And so we realize that we can sit in church, we can sit on the front pew and still refuse to be recipients of God's grace. And still say, I'll do it on my own. But God knows better. He knows we must. He knows we can't. And he knows that we shall only through Christ. Here it is in Deuteronomy. Before God's people even enter into the promised land. It's in the preaching of Ezekiel. Chapter 36. For I will take you out of the nation, says the Lord. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land. I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I, 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 says the Lord. It's in the preaching of Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me 
and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. See, it's true. It's always true. We must, we can't, but we shall through the Lord. This is the truth from which you and I must never be distracted. This is the truth that we can never turn away from. We discover when we come to the New Testament that this grace of God and this power of God for living our lives is found only in the person of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul writes of his personal experience. When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knows it's true. We must. We can't. But we shall through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled to us, uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ. Here it is again. We must. We can't. But we shall through Christ. One more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into this same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, we must, we can't, but we shall through Christ. This is the truth from which you and I must never be distracted. We can never leave this truth unguarded in our lives and we must never turn away from it. And so all that remains for us to consider is this. What is the quality of God's work? He's the surgeon here in verse six, is he not? He's the one performing the heart surgery. So if God is the surgeon, what are the results? What is God's success rate. Does God sometimes mess up? How often does God lose a patient? You have to forgive me if sometimes I seem to have a Presbyterian chip on my shoulder. I really don't. But I've been one for so long, 53 years. That's a long time. And it's been my experience immersed in the, I need to get out more, I think. Uh, immersed in this culture, that other truths of Scripture cause us to take our eyes off of, of this truth. And it's been my experience through all of these years that we talk very often about what we call worm theology. Oh, I'm such a worm. I am such a dreadful sinner. Is that true? Yes, we are all dreadful sinners, but Christ is a powerful Savior, right? 
And he has come to rescue us from the power and the dominion of sin. We say as Presbyterians, well, I sin daily in thought, word, and deed. But it's like we wear it as a badge or as an excuse. Oh, sorry, but I sin daily in thought, word, and deed. Is that true? Yes, usually. One of those categories, we sin in, in them. And so it becomes our excuse. And our focus becomes, I can't. I can't because I sin daily in thought, word, and deed. And because I am a worm. All that's true. All of that's true. And yet sometimes we don't look at the greater truth that we shall in Christ because he's made us new. So let's do this this morning, please. Let's not deny the good work of Christ. Let us not deny his power in us. Let us not deny that he has made us new. Why should we deny such great news? You and I get to get up in the morning and we get to face our everyday life with its everyday challenges and its everyday temptations and its everyday frustrations in the power of the Lord who has made us new. We focus on what we can do in Christ, not on what we can't do in our own weakness. And neither let us deny the purpose for which he has made us new. Paul tells us also in 2 Corinthians 5, he's made us new so that we can be ministers of reconciliation. So we can tell the other, others good news of Christ that we must, we can't, but we shall through Christ. God has made us new for that purpose, a purpose greater than ourselves. It's for the world. And so the world needs, you know what the world needs from us? The world needs us to know ourselves. The world needs us to know who we are. The world needs to know that you and I, we're not perfect, but we know our limitations. The world needs to hear us say, we must, but we cannot. Because the world really, really, really needs for us to find our help and our hope and our power in Christ alone. Because you know what? That's their only hope. Their only hope is when you and I are living our lives as new creation in the power of the Lord. The world needs to hear us say, needs to hear us sing to God, be the glory. Great things he has done. That's their only hope. That God can and will work in their lives as well. We must We cannot, but we shall through Christ. Can you say that with me? We must, we cannot, but we shall through Christ. One more time, loudly. We must, we cannot, but we shall through Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would take this truth, which is pervasive, pervasive throughout your word. It's one of those big ones, Lord, that you repeat over and over and over again. Father, you can say something one time and that is enough. But when you tell us over and over, we know that you want us to understand it. So Father, help us clearly see from your word 
who it is that we must be and what it is that we must do. In order to be in a relationship with you and in order to live out this life that you have appointed for us. And then, Father, help us to see we cannot do it. Show us that, Lord, so we'll stop trying. So we'll stop trying to win your approval and stop trying to win the approval of others by all we do, do, do. Because we chose to do what we're supposed to do. We chose to say what we're supposed to say. We chose to give what we're supposed to give. Oh, no, we can't. But we shall through Christ. So, Father, help us to remember it's only in the power of Christ that we can be who you have called us to be and do what you've called us to do. Help us live out our lives as new creations, empowered by the spirit of the one and only true and living God. We can't even begin to imagine what the results will be for your kingdom when we tell ourselves every day, we must, we cannot, but we shall through Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.